0: light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond far-side chats.
1: Hello and welcome to Leave Our World A Better Place. My name is Kasha, and my guest today is Jess Gruner, African Parks Regional Ops Manager for Rwanda. Jess will be speaking to us about the African Parks Management Model and describing over a decade of work and rehabilitation that has gone into transforming Akagera National Park into Rwanda's only Big Five wildlife reserve. Jess, thank you so much for coming on to chat to me this morning. It's a pleasure to get to know you and get to know the story of Africa Parks in Rwanda.
0: Yeah, nice to speak to you too and um, hope hope we can be of some help.
1: Um before we get right into the details about African parks, um what you do, what African Parks does in Rwanda, and Akagera National Park in particular. Just give us a little bit of background about yourself. What is your background? How did you develop a passion for nature conservation? And how did you end up where you are?
0: I was brought up in Malawi um, and attended boarding school in the UK from a very young age, but was brought up primarily on a farm in Malawi um, and was exposed to nature and outdoors life. So when I returned from university studying applied biology, animal science, I went back ideally to our parents' farm, but then decided quite quickly that the farm was going to remain. But we had a choice, or I had a choice, to be able to expose myself to other things. So I volunteered for three years in a community game farm to rebuild that. And then after those three years of volunteering, I was a little bit broke. So uh, fortunately, African Parks had set itself up in Malawi and in Majeti and they recruited me as operations manager and that was in 2006 and things have materialized since then you know i was a young man then but now we've i've got my wife and three kids and and we're based here in rwanda um but conservation has always been a passion nature getting our hands dirty and just being being part of the fresh air is is paramount absolutely that's pretty special
1: so talking about african parks can you explain a little bit about how the model works you know what attracted you to it and why you feel that it works? Obviously you know you've been with them for more than 15 years so you know you'd have quite an intimate knowledge of how the whole process works.
0: Yeah, as you said you know I've been more than 15 years with African parks so in some ways I might be a little bit biased, but um, there are very few full management models um, for conservation areas and this is exactly what African parks is. it's a it's a full management model of uh, a conservation entity, be it a national park, a game reserve, community reserve. And when I say fall, it means from community um, development, to park management, to tourism, to infrastructure, and supporting the government with some regulations within those national parks. So, in, in essence, it's like running your own farm um, on behalf of the government. and. There are no other models like that in, in in conservation that I know of in the continent, or very few that fully manage an entity. Very often they would advise, but not necessarily be responsible for their actions.
1: Okay, so I know that African Parks has used this model throughout Africa to manage the rehabilitation of national parks. And the organization is active in quite a few countries. But I'm curious about Rwanda in particular, um, African Parks has been working there since 2010, I think. Can you talk a little bit about why Rwanda and Akagera in particular was chosen as a good site um, for African Parks management?
0: Yeah, first, first of all, um, African Parks wants to do as much conservation as possible, but obviously there's limitation with funds. Um, you know, we can't be everywhere. But primarily we take on the management mandate of gazetted areas on behalf of governments. And in, in the late 2000s, um, a representative from the Rwandan government came to Malawi, Majeti, the place where I was working at the time, and actually said, you know what, this would be a great model for Akigera. Um, African parks doesn't per se go looking for conservation zones but is invited by, by governments to, to look after um, the, the required area. And, and on, in this case, it was Akagera National Park. So African parks, as one of their processes, came and did a due diligence. And just to give you some highlights on that, Akagera is the only savanna ecosystem in, in Rwanda and the only wetland system. Um, there are four national parks in Rwanda, but they're all different in biomes. So that in itself is very important to protect um, the savanna ecosystem, and that's why African Parks felt it was very, very, how would we say, um, very attractive. But also, the progressive Rwandan government has just made it sealed it in, in in honesty.
1: Well, Rwanda is really building up a reputation for being extremely committed um, to conservation.
0: Yeah yeah it's it's a, it's a very progressive nation on conservation and a multitude of other things. and um, I, w- I won't hesitate to say conservation actually bodes well for Rwanda.
1: Now you mentioned that African parks, um, one of the key relationships it has is that it works with government. Um, and in Rwanda, I think the the government body that you work with is the Ru- Rwandan Development Board. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, the Arunden Development Board, or RDB, is the conservation arm of government. Um, Like very many other nations have um, their conservation arm, this is RDB.
1: And how does that relationship between African Parks and the RDB work? What are you responsible for? What are they responsible for? And how is that balanced?
0: Well, the the dynamics is it's it's a PPP, which is a public-private partnership. And we actually operate as a a company in Rwanda. We set up a company called Akagera Management Company, of which African Parks is a 51% shareholder and the RDB 49% shareholder. But Akagera Management Company, as said earlier, has a full mandate to develop and manage Akagera National Park and its surrounding with the communities to become basically the lead park in the nation and um, show best practice for East Africa on conservation savanna ecosystems. Um, So it's a true, true partnership and we wouldn't be where we are without the the actually meaningful collaboration of the RDB.
1: So it's pretty much about using sort of your expertise and your best practices and bringing all of that to bear on the management of the park itself. And the Rwanda Development Board sort of backs that and, and backs the decisions that you make. Is that correct? I'm just trying to get the right sort of understanding.
0: Yeah, it's it's exactly correct. You know, it's a business approach to conservation, which is one of African Parks' key sayings. Um, so African Parks does also come with the financial support, um, be it through philanthropy or different institutions. Um, and then really important in conservation, it's a long-term management mandate. So it's it's a 20-year mandate to manage. We set up the Akagera Management Company, which is a Rwandan company paying taxes. And... Um, really showing the vision for sustainability, re- really showing the contribution of taxes to the fiscal authorities here in Rwanda. Um, so it's, it really is a business approach to conservation and African parks with the expertise, with the funding, with um, with the experience from other parks and, and other areas um, can really uh, support the Rwandan government in, in boosting and rejuvenating Akagera National Park.
1: Well, going back to 2010, obviously, um, you know, Rwanda had come through quite a tumultuous phase in in its history. Can you talk a little bit about what was the situation at Akagera back at that time when African parks took on the management of the the reserve?
0: Yeah, I have to go even further back. You know, Akagera is one of the oldest national parks, apart from Kruger and Sulu and those places. It was founded in 1934, And it was originally 270,000 hectares or 2,700 square kilometers with an additional hunting zone attached to it. We all know of the turmoil that happened 27 years ago um, in the genocide against the Tutsi. And that really was also the demise of the nation, but also conservation and Akagera at the time. But fortunately, that was stabilized later on and there was a lot of returnees from Uganda and Tanzania who had a lot of livestock, who accumulated livestock over time and they returned to Rwanda. And again, Rwanda is the most densely populated nation on the continent. Um, there was very little space for them so uh, and for the livestock. So by default, and they had no choice, they had to use Akagera for their livestock and that became a real problem for, for wildlife, especially for the carnivores. And then also there was some illegal hunting for bushmeat. And unfortunately, Akagera really struggled for approximately 10 years in that chapter, so much so that the lions were wiped out and, and such. But the government of Rwanda in, in 2000 uh, regazetted Akagera National Park and kept it, kept 100,000 hectares or 1,000 square kilometers and redistributed the, the other balance, but on the condition that everyone um, pull out of what was the new conservation area. And that initiative in itself was the savior of what is now Akagera National Park.
1: It's a fascinating history, definitely.
0: No, it is. And then um, fortunately in 2010, um, this, this PPP, pu- Public-Private Partnership with African Parks, secured. And we, we had a lot of things to deal with. But the first of all was to really understand the dynamics of where we were, what we'd come to, and what we were doing. At that time, I was the operation operations manager, and um, it was sad to see it, but bushmeat was still the main source of illegal activities, and hippos and buffalo, the remaining ones, were being killed um, en masse, and unfortunately, like three to five a week. It was just not sustainable, and we really had to get a grip of that very quickly Otherwise, we wouldn't have had founder populations to build up again, um, and it was paramount to save the wildlife we had. Um, it's easier to let animals multiply than to bring animals back.
1: You know, I think in, in in the past two years, rewilding is a term that's become really popular, and that's really great. But I also think that a lot of people use it in a way that's maybe a little bit um, that maybe doesn't fully understand the term. Um, there seems to be a perception that you know, if you leave nature alone and give it a chance, it's just going to come back on its own. But there's actually a huge amount of management work that needs to go into it on the on the back end in order for that to happen. Obviously, when you first took over the management, there's a lot that needed to be done to prepare for reintroduction of species and for, and for species to build up again. Can you talk a little bit about what you actually did in those first five years of management to ensure buy-in from surrounding communities to set up the park and and get it ready for um, you know, reintroductions of wildlife and for and for some of the other initiatives that you would carry out a bit later.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah, as in you're 100% right. Rewilding is quite a sexy term nowadays, but rewilding can only happen if uh, nature is given a break. That is one of our key, key mandates is to secure the integrity. And when we got to Akagera, that was it, secure the integrity of the area and keep it safe, um, and then let nature be. And then it becomes, then the true rewilding comes in because you're letting it happen. If you don't give it a break, it, it can never bounce back. So our first couple of years, you know, we, we really had to get a grips of the law enforcement. Um, it was paramount to do that, to ensure that, you know, the, the 300 hippos that were there were not going down, but going to start to multiply the, the 36 roan antelope that we had. We're going to multiply the 60, bu- elephants we had We're were not going to go down, but multiply. Um, so law enforcement was paramount. And then um, absolutely critical to that was also the government of Rwanda made a commitment to fund um, a fence on our Western boundary because we have a really hard boundary with the communities or Akigera does. As I said, Rwanda is the most populated nation on the continent, densely populated nation on the continent. And human and wildlife conflict was a huge issue for the communities, but also for the park. So the only way to address this was through a fence. So the government of Rwanda helped support put that in. And then slowly, slowly, after year two and three, we managed to get a real good understanding and stabilize the park on management, improve the infrastructure, access roads, which allowed for better patrol coverage, which then allowed for better tourism. The fence came along. and then absolutely paramount, and it wouldn't be a success if, it, if we, this didn't happen, was the actual employment. We have extensive staff employed from the local communities who are actually getting a sustainable income and could see the progress that was being made that um, allowed them to go to the communities and say, guys, we're making a, a living out of this park, um, a legal living. Let's promote and let's keep uh, keep the place safe.
1: And that's, that's quite crucial, isn't it? Um, you know, you've spoken about law enforcement and securing the park itself. But part of the African parks model is that it, this always ties in with community development, education, um, employment, and actually making sure that the communities see the benefits of that conservation flowing. Isn't that correct?
0: Yeah, we'd be so naive if we thought um, our management and the progress of Akigera would be purely law enforcement. Yes, we did have to start that and upskill that, but that goes hand in hand with community development, sensitization, trying to improve the livelihoods of of the communities uh, economically, improve through education. So we have a huge, um, well, we have a department specifically allocated to community development, and we focus on a lot of aspects, be them education, enterprise, different business initiatives, improving the economic well-being of the people uh, outside. So and that's not just a one off that is continual and we need to continually improve that continually sit with the communities with the local authorities and address what the needs are but also try and um, give solutions to it um, when i'm personally i'm not a firm believer of just giving 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 but helping give build um, sustainable solutions and build, building capacity and that's the only way akigera will stay into the future is if the community surrounding the park actually I acknowledge that it should be there.
1: Mm, absolutely, that's very crucial. And I mean, everything you say about African parks, it is actually very similar to and beyond in the work that we do with Africa Foundation. And I know that a shared belief that we have is that conservation education is crucial. Is there stuff that you do at Akagera um, with your environmental education program you know that that you feel is particularly crucial. I think you target um, you also target children in the local communities uh, with conservation education. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, we um, we've developed what we call the Savanna Learning Centre, which is a, a plot of land outside the park, just on the periphery, where we have a, a large um, hall with displays and activities linked to the savanna ecosystem. And then the last chapter is actually about conservation in Rwanda. But further to that, we have an amphi- a little amphitheater there, and presently building a library and a basketball court. We call it the uh, basically a local local garden, where we want to promote practices, um, local practices, um, chicken rearing, mushroom farming, all these alternative income-generating activities. Um, for example, we have chicken chicken rearing there for eggs, and all the lodges inside the park should be buying the eggs from there, not from. Kigali, the capital. So we're trying to be a stimulus at the same time as educational, but also being with the community. Um, It shouldn't be a them and us in the park and outside. So we bring over 2000 kids a year. COVID did have an effect on that, but 2000 kids a year from local schools around um, the park and 300 adults from local leaders to churches um, from around the park. And just as I said, we've we've also developed a dormitory to house 60 people because now we'd actually like to have further reach within the country of Rwanda where people could actually come and see the savannah ecosystem um, and and understand Akagera because it is very different to the rest of Rwanda.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's really important to have that understanding. And I think I saw somewhere that about 50% of the visitors to Akagera are uh, local to Rwanda is... Does that sound like the right kind of stat?
0: No it is. You know we we've gone from 12,000 guests in 2010 to just in 2019 50,000 visitors. Um, and we tr- we have tried over that time to stabilize the patronage of the of the park to be 50, at least 50% Rwandans. We really need Akagera to be for the Rwandans primarily and we want people to people to come and visit their own park um, in their own uh, country without the stigma of thinking it's expensive um, it's difficult it's only for tourists this is a good day's retreat for for rwandans Um they can come in a bus load we've fixed roads up so they can actually come as a group of 30 in a in a in a bus and we have kept the pricing very uh very low to allow for that Sometimes conservationists say that's not the greatest model because it's high turnover of people, minimum return, because we keep it cheap, but we actually are trying to cover the spectrum of of, of markets. For tourists, we, it, it's, it's a higher pricing. International tourists, there's a higher pricing bracket, um, and they generally actually stay longer whilst the Rwandans just come and visit visit for the day.
1: Well, I think it's really important, you know, to build up the reputation of the park. You have to start sort of internally within Rwanda as well and, and just to bring awareness. You know, earlier you were talking about the history of Akagera and you said it's, it's, it's been around as long as parks such as the Kruger or the Sulu. And those are such well-known names and such sort of, you know, the legends of the safari industry. But Rwanda really doesn't get that kind of same recognition for anything than I suppose gorilla tracking. It's, it's not really known as a big five tourism destination. And obviously, what what you want is for Akagera to be self sustaining through tourism. Um, so, are there things that you're doing to change that perception and to create give it give it its own sort of share of the limelight as, as a Big Five destination?
0: Yeah, you know, first of all, we really had to st- stabilize Akagera and improve its uh, the product. You know, good law enforcement allowed for multiplication of wildlife and the relaxed wildlife. Which then allowed for better viewing of tourism. And that became almost self marketing. And then you're you're 100% right. When we came in 2010, gorillas was a key product. But also, the Rwandan government has seen that there is a need, and we call it beyond gorillas, a need for selling Rwanda as a whole package, um, one package in itself. You can go to the gorillas, you can see the savanna ecosystem really easily now without jumping in a plane you know you can go by road within the day within a day you're at the other national park and then you can go to new national park which is also a walking activity um where you can go and see chimpanzees and be in the rainforest so that is just the national parks then there's a um, a history of, of rwanda unfortunately a bit of a sad one but also a, a history of rejuvenation uh, revival in the last 27 years and then lake kivu um which is uh, very spectacular in its own right so rwanda has um uh, a lot of products that it it can sell apart from just the gorillas and or let's say complement the gorillas and rwanda can comfortably be done in 7 to 10 days without um exiting the country to go and see somewhere else um and you would get um, a plethora of, of, of activities achieved. And you definitely leave fully, fully, um, uh, I, how would you say, You're just uh, very satisfied uh, of, of, the, of what you had seen. So everyone is driving that way. Um, the Rwandan government is driving that way. But it's only possible if you do conservation right and you do tourism right, and all together, we, we seem to be on the right track. And that's, um, that, that's amazing. Just for example, Rwanda, when we came in 2010, only had a fleet of two to three planes, a bit old, but now they have extensive aircraft over, I think, 12 flying across the globe. And, and that just shows you the progressiveness of this nation.
1: Well, it's incredible diversity. And I think in post-COVID travel, I think we've seen it a lot that people tend to prefer to stick to one destination now and to explore it more in depth. So I think that's only a positive move for for Rwanda.
0: Yeah, it is. And as I said, they've made it easy. Access roads are so good. Public transport, um, road, roads are good between the parks. It's easy to get into Rwanda. Um, they, they've they dealt so well with, with the COVID pandemic. You know, you get visa on arrival, there's no difficulties there. So it's just a smooth operation. Some people say it's Africa for beginners, but you know what, It's it's you, you could come again and again because it's just right.
1: That's amazing. Okay, I'd like to go back and talk a little bit more about some of the reintroductions that happened um, at Akagera. So you mentioned earlier that lions had actually effectively gone locally extinct in the park. And I know that that was a species that you targeted for reintroduction. And I think it was in 2015 that you, um, that the first lions came in. How did you decide that the park was ready for the presence of lions? Um, You know, and then what was the process that you followed? How did you source the lions, bring them in? Uh, It must have been a huge project.
0: Yeah, again, sorry to digress, but you know, um, Akagera used to be home to over 300 lions so that was a huge statement. Statement in itself, when it when it was a bigger place. That's a very significant lion population. Exactly. Um. Unfortunately, they were wiped out due to the the lions predating on on the livestock and then being poisoned out. So when we took over in two thousand and ten, we actually knew that we wanted to bring back lions, but we had to make it right first. We had to address the issues, and really do a lot of community sensitization. And then most of all, have the predator base for for the lions. And with the commitment of the Rwandan government fencing and the Western boundary, um, and we predator-proofed it, um, it allowed in 2015 for us to bring back seven lions, five females and, and two males. Um, because the prey base was there, the security of the park was there, the fence was in there, um, two years of community dialogue had been done to... Uh, um, confirmed to the community that it wasn't going to be a negative impact. We we developed sports events called, called the Lion Cup as sensitization. And then in 2015, we, we succeeded in bringing these lions from from South Africa. And they're absolutely thriving now. And we actually keep them around 40 animals through um, contraception and hysterectomy and vasectomies just to, to ensure e- we're a closed system. So the lions would actually thrive and go up to 150, 200, but that actually wouldn't be in balance with the size of the area. And um, we, we want to make sure we have to manage that. Unfortunately, when you're a close, closed system, you have to manage that. But 40 animals, very relaxed, a key tourism product and doing really well. Well, that's actually
1: incredible. I think that in, you know, less than 10 years, the population has gotten to a stage where you actually have to put in management practices to to keep it to a certain level. Having gone from zero to that, it's it's an extraordinary success.
0: No, it is. And, you know, I think it's very similar to, as I said, they came from South Africa, but the females actually came from Pinda and, and the males from Tembe. And these, these females were already very relaxed um, and being relaxed um, to our the the new ecosystem in Akagera, actually supported them to to not wander far and to quickly start reproducing. So we have some of Pindas genes here in in Akagera.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. So another species that you brought back to Akagera is rhino, and I think as far as far as I'm aware. The first translocation that took place was black rhino, wasn't it, in 2017?
0: Yeah, that's correct. It was the eastern black rhino, um, subspecies michaeli, of which there's only approximately, or at the time, there was only approximately 900 left in the wild. So um, we brought back 18 in 2017, and um, today they're they're, they're thriving and doing really well and and reproducing. It's a black rhino, so people don't see it that often, but um, we are definitely another range state that has uh, uh, black rhinos, uh, purely for conservation, number
1: one. I'm quite curious, what was the motivation for focusing on black rhino first? Was it just a species that did better in the park, or was there a particular reason why you did that first?
0: Um, Again, the Akagera did have the eastern black rhinos, and the last one was we have a picture of the last one seen from a helicopter in two thousand and seven. But um, as they were secretive, we, we hear that there used to be approximately eighty black rhino in Akagera. But most definitely, they were not. They were not here when we got here. So the eastern black rhino, Mikela, is a species that really needs conservation. As I said, there's only nine hundred left. We wanted another safe safe haven for them. So we felt that Kagera was a really good spot and Rwanda a really good nation to have them in. That saying of don't keep all your eggs in in one basket. You know, the true wilderness areas for this eastern black rhino are Tanzania and Kenya, and that is it. Um, So now Rwanda Rwanda is another range state, uh, just in case of um, problems in the future in, in any other nation.
1: Always, the bigger population footprint you have, the better.
0: Exactly, and it's 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 a similar environment. Um, so it's it's it was it was a no brainer, in honesty.
1: So, just out of curiosity, so black rhino were actually endemic to to Rwanda.
0: Is that right? <laughs> yeah, it's a funny funny thing. Um, they used to be in the Kagera region in Tanzania, and one of the first ever translocations of rhino in the early. 40s, 50s was done from there to Akagera. And they were so, so they were introduced in the 50s. It's not to say we, we historically we know what was here in the 1800s. I'm pretty sure they used to be here, but documentation doesn't show that. But they were brought here in the 40s, 50s. um, Unfortunately, did well, but then came to their demise. So we, we were the second round, and hopefully, we can be the last round. Um, of them just thriving into in, into the future.
1: Fantastic! That's actually a really cool story. And white rhino were they also found found in the in the region, or was that something that kind of flowed from the reintroduction of of black rhino? Um, the decision to bring them back as well.
0: Well, uh, just over time with the conservation of Rwanda and 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 Akagera as being successful with the lions and the eastern black rhino, zoos in Europe asked if we would take five zoo uh, Mikhailite rhinos and re, re-wild them here. And that worked well. We did lose two, unfortunately. One just never settled, and another one, she just wasn't used to the wild and actually challenged an elephant and came to her demise. But um, that's, a re- that's a reality of these things we do. Um, but the, the other three are doing fantastically well. So akigera sort of became a little bit on the spotlight for conservation. And when we get to white rhinos... Um, we, we, we weren't taking the purist attitude. Um, DRC Garamba was, was the last home to the northern white rhino. We know the southern white rhino from basically Zambia down to South Africa. Um, and there are, there's a small population in Ziwa in Uganda. We feel that and felt and still do that white rhino really need as much help as they can get um, for conservation, for their, for their own species. And upon bringing um, the lions and rhinos in 2015 and 17, the, the vets, the conservationists who were here in that time, just said this is absolutely a phenomenal place for white rhino. So that's where the thinking came. Um, and then everybody was on board at, at the end of last year or at the beginning of last year and said, let's do this. White rhinos, in honesty, haven't got that positive a future. Let's try and do something positive for them um, and... Um, Pending all feasibility assessments, which we did, which was vegetation assessments, security assessments, um, the risk of moving the animals, it just everything said it should be done and um, we managed to succeed. So it's a new state for for white rhinos um, and presently they're doing fantastically well um, and it doesn't go without risk, you know, moving so many animals, such a distance to a new environment. Um, where they p- new different parasites but it it's it's worth the shot um for for white rhinos.
1: at this stage the rhino population is in such decline that i think any new habitat that is actually suitable for them that you can make use of is is absolutely amazing so um and just in terms of the of the size of this translocation that you spoke about that took a, took place a couple of months ago you know towards the end of of 2021 um you know it's been billed as the largest ever translocation of white rhino which is it was what 30 animals that that came into akagera from south africa
0: absolutely yeah it was 30 30 um white rhinos um females and males um from south africa from from pinda and beyond and to to akagera national park so it was it's the single largest one-off move of so many animals in one shot there have been there's been a a move of rhinos of much higher numbers, but not in one, one go, but this, this just showed it can be done. And, um, I think the world, the conservation world should be looking at this to, to try and continue this, um, where possible to find safe environments for, for animals that are doing really well. And in, in that, and that's the case in Pinda, you know, um, they've just managed to secure them so well. The management have done such a great job that, you're across the board, your species are multiplying. And this allows you to, to really have meaningful conservation and supporting other entities rebuild conservation zones. And that's just that's just a huge, absolutely huge statement.
1: It must have been quite an emotional thing to see all these rhinos arrive. I mean, I know it was such a carefully choreographed um, move and it, it it took so long. And I also know that you've been away from Rwanda for a while. Are you keen to get back to Akagera and actually see how your rhinos are doing? Yeah, I've
0: been away almost two months, but um, I'm I'm shooting off there tomorrow morning. We're going to happily spend um, a couple of days with the rhinos. They're, they're doing really well there in what we call a halfway house, which is a, a really big pen of a couple hundred hectares, just acclimatizing. Um, I without Even though I haven't been there, I get daily updates and photographs of them daily to see that. But I'm really excited to see them. And... As as you said, super emotional when when they came. It was just like a a thousand piece puzzle, putting all the pieces together from the vets to the logistics to the flights to securing the the animals in the first place, you know, and securing the donor. So a lot of players, um, like minded players, who actually want to get something done, and then the the absolute collaboration from the Rwandan government and, and the South African government, allowing for this cross-country um, uh, move to take place. It's pretty amazing when it all falls together like that.
1: Jess, we've spoken about, you know, the Big Five and some of the key iconic species like the lion and the rhino, but that's not everything that Akagero is about, is it? You know, the park is home to a number of endangered species and some of them are less better known than others. Can you speak about some of the endangered species at Akagera, and, um, you know, what the park is best known for? In
0: honesty, Akagera, when we first went there in 2010, it was devoid of quite a lot of wildlife or of minimal numbers, but the scenery in itself is just breathtaking. You can be blown away by just the scenery, the rolling hills, the savanna plains, the wetlands. It's got one of the largest wetlands in the, the Akagera River. So it just was saying, you know, I'm special, but... I need to have animals in me. You know, That this is the term of Akagera. So Akagera is very, very special. And it has over over 400 birds, almost 500 bird species, which is huge in itself for, for a basically 100,000 hectares. But some of the species have actually come back, in honesty. Bringing the lions has actually allowed us to, to see more lapid-faced vultures, white-backed and white-headed, which were critically endangered, which have been appearing in the last two years and more frequently. So that is a knock-on effect of good conservation. And then just last December, the Rup- a rupauls vulture was sighted. So that's, that's critically endangered. So those are some of the birds. So not so much the sexy species, but Ecosystem management, it comes in its entirety. It doesn't come as just iconic species. Obviously, we brought back the lions, lions which numbers are going down across the globe and their habitat is going down. The rhinos, elephants have multiplied from 60 animals to over 130 now. And then we have some key other species like the citatunga in the swamps and um, the endangered, endangered shoebill. And are a very good home to actually a very high density of leopards, which are not critically endangered, but are actually are vulnerable. And then we have a few few pangolins. I know Pinda does have some, but but we, we have sighted pangolins very, very scarce and rare and only on camera traps, but we are home to a couple of pangolins.
1: You know, as as you say, these may not be the most glamorous or the best known species, but it's just so fantastic to see that diversity returning.
0: It, it does, and we 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 will see that going into the future. I'm sure uh, more birds coming in that never used to be around.
1: Now, Jess, you've you've spoken about the significance that Akagera has, um, in terms of sort of sa- the savanna species and and that type of environment. But what the reserve is also known for is. Uh, is that it's home to Central Africa's largest protected wetland. What does this mean in terms of wildlife diversity and, and bird diversity and the species that the reserve is able to support? And, you know, does it add to the tourist experience that that people can have in the park?
0: It definitely does add to the tourism experience because it, it adds a, a diversity where people can go out on, on a lake, on a boat, cruise, and um, can see the swamps, can see the different life that is in the papyrus swamps. But in in reality, on the on the conservation and ecological side, by preserving a wetland system, it cleans and filters a lot of the toxicities because there is it's it's the Akagera River that flows into these wetlands, and then it, it's also a place for underwater um, species fish to multiply and to be safe and. Fortunately, restock the rivers further down because the lakes will never be depleted of fish in Akagera because they're let to be. We do have a sustainable um, harvest of, of of fish by the community, and we do that hand in hand, which has been an absolute huge collaboration with the community and a huge boost to to them income wise, but also nutritional wise, and a model of co co management of of uh, natural resources. But um, by just preserving that whole place, it actually preserves the environment around and restocks fish downstream, which allows people to have livelihoods.
1: So it's a really big knock-on effect as well in terms of what preserving that that wetland has on the environment all around it.
0: Yeah, the the conservation value, but the economic value are, are vast.
1: So now we spoke a little bit um, at the beginning about the situation at Akagera when, when African Parks started the management of, um, of the park. You know, it's now what, 11, 12 years down the line. How far would you say you've come towards the goal of the park being self-sustaining? And what have been some of the most important milestones along this journey?
0: Yeah, again, I digress and I go back to 2010 where we only had 12,000 guests. And um, one of the key principles of African Parks is revenue retention we only made two hundred thousand dollars on a on a two just over two million dollar budget, which was so basically we were only ten percent sustainable at the time. By the end of twenty nineteen we had fifty thousand guests. Um, we had managed to develop two lodges and get one totally revamped and Akigera generated two point six million dollars and was eighty percent sustainable Unfortunately, the, uh, the globe has had been hit by the COVID pandemic and so did, so did all the nations and so did we. So we took a huge dive and became back to 25% sustainable in 2020 and we've just finished 2021 and it's bounced back slightly. So we're, we're just over 40% sustainable, but we have the vision of getting back to full sustainability hopefully in the next five years. And just with the reassurance that when we left 2019, we were 80% sustainable and we were on the right path. So we can really get there. And we're very fortunate to have the huge collaboration by the Rwandan government and the commitment. And they even support us with a quarter of a million dollars funding every year. But we also have the huge support from African parks who um, always fund and commit to fund the shortfall whatever the situation is, COVID or just a smaller shortfall. So we're we're very lucky with that.
1: You know, those are really impressive numbers and I mean there's no denying that that COVID has just thrown any existing models or projections out the window over the past couple of years. But I mean if you if you look back to what was happening before then, I don't think there's any doubt that you're very far down the road towards self sustainability. No,
0: we we've shown the trend, um we've shown it can be done. And more importantly, akigera has been secured both through the law enforcement, yes, but um, the community works that we do with the community. The community themselves want Akigera to thrive now. And that's a huge, huge statement in itself. The economic filter down benefits the communities have got, whilst also getting other benefits, is is just, it's, you, in honestly, you can't really value it. You could say for every dollar spent, it goes to 20, 25 easily. So the trickle down is huge.
1: So, you know, looking at the broader context of Rwanda, I know that following, following on to all the work that you've done at Akagera, African Parks has entered into an agreement to manage another wildlife area in Rwanda, uh, Nungwe, is that correct? Yeah,
0: as of October 2020, we we took on the, the management of Nungwe National Park which is a Albertine rift, um, rainforest, um, a pocket of a hundred thousand hectares with a vast amount of endemic birds, um, and a, a plethora of different species, rainforest species, um, and, um, 13, uh, different primate species as well.
1: And what are your plans for, for the park? Um, are the lessons that you've learned at Akagera that you can implement at Nyungwe as well?
0: Oh, huge, huge, um, huge experiences from Akagera have been taken to to, to Nyungwe. You know, we were we were only one year into it, pretty much, and 2021 was a really uh, to get a good understanding of Nyungwe and the dynamics and the community, and it's very different to an ecosystem, but. Because of Akagera's experiences, we have really saved time on some processes and the government really has assurance that we are getting on with it and the job we're doing. And, and we already have a, a keen partner in the government because of Akagera. So we can achieve a lot more, a lot quicker. That being said, you know, the community is quite, quite a lot larger um, around Nyungwe and it's very, very rural. The, the terrain is very harsh very wet so we definitely have to put a lot more effort on the side of community with respect to having more visibility there because the boundary is much greater there's a higher population density and the poverty is actually uh, slightly higher so um, we're really focusing on that at this time
1: it's been a really fantastic glimpse um you know, talking to you of of what Rwanda has to offer. And it's definitely opened my eyes to a lot more of the diversity that the country has. To end off with, is there anything that you'd like to say to, you know, to somebody who's thinking of Rwanda and just equating it with guerrilla tracking and, you know, not planning to do anything else in the country other than that? Is there something that you'd like to say to someone like that to persuade them to experience Akagera or other parts of the country?
0: The most important thing is, try and book that ticket to Rwanda and book it for um, a week. Don't just leave it to the gorillas and don't listen to the stigma historically of, of the history of Rwanda. Things have changed in the last 27 years. Put it on your bucket list and put it on to actually experience Rwanda and that the gorillas is one of the products. But Rwanda in its entirety is is a memory for life.
1: Having chatted to you and also, you know, hearing everything that is being said about Rwanda and the nature conservation and in the, the tourism industry, I have no doubt that it's definitely going to be a shining star of the future.
0: Absolutely. No, that we, we hope to keep building it hand in hand with the government and like-minded entities. Conservation really does need it. And one of the ways through is through tourism to make it sustainable, community development, and as I said, most importantly, like-minded, determined people to, to, to support nature.
1: Jess, thank you so much. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Thank you for making the time to, to chat to me.
0: Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for listening to Leave Our World a Better Place. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to find out more about N Beyond, please log on to our website at NBeyond.com.